Chapter Twenty Eight of She by H. Rider Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine. She by H. Rider Haggard. Chapter Twenty Eight Over the Mountain. The next thing I recollect is a feeling of the most dreadful stiffness, and a sort of vague idea passing through my half-awakened brain that I was a carpet that had just been beaten. I opened my eyes, and the first thing I fell on was the venerable countenance of my old friend Bilali, who was seated by the side of the improvised bed upon which I was sleeping, and thoughtfully stroking his long beard. The sight of him at once brought back to my mind a recollection of all that we had recently passed through, which was accentuated by the vision of poor Leo lying opposite to me, his face knocked almost to a jelly, and his beautiful crowd of curls turned from yellow to white. Note. Curiously enough, Leo's hair has lately been to some extent regaining its color, that is to say, it's now a yellowish-gray, and I am not without hopes that it will in time come quite right. End of the note. And I shut my eyes again and groaned. Thou hast slept long, my baboon, said old Bilali. How long, my father, I asked. A round of the sun and a round of the moon, a day and a night hast thou slept, and the lion also. See, he sleepeth yet. Blessed is sleep, I answered, for it swallows up recollection. Tell me, he said, what hath befallen you, and what is this strange story of the death of her who dieth not? Bethink thee, my son, if this be true, then is thy danger and the danger of the lion very great, nay, almost is the pot red, wherewith ye shall be potted, and the stomachs of those who shall eat ye are already hungry for the feast. Knowest thou not that these Amahaga, my children, these dwellers in the caves hate ye. They hate ye as strangers, they hate ye more because of their brethren, whom she put to the torment for your sake. Assuredly, if once they learn that there is naught to fear from Hiya, from the terrible one who must be obeyed, they will slay ye by the pot. But let me hear thy tale, my poor baboon. This adjured, I set to work and told him, not everything, indeed, for I did not think it desirable to do so, but sufficient for my purpose, which was to make him understand that she was really no more, having fallen into some fire, and, as I put it, for the real thing would have been incomprehensible to him, being burnt up. I also told him some of the horrors we had undergone in effecting our escape, and these produced a great impression on him. But I clearly saw that he did not believe in the report of Aisha's death, he believed indeed that we thought that she was dead, but his explanation was that it had suited her to disappear for a while. Once, he said, in his father's time she had done so for twelve years, and there was a tradition in the country that many centuries back no one had seen her for a whole generation, when she suddenly reappeared, and destroyed a woman who had assumed the position of queen. I said nothing to this, but only shook my head sadly. Alas! I knew too well that I would appear no more. 
or at any rate that Bilali would never see her again. And now, concluded Bilali, what wouldst thou do, my baboon? Nay, I said, I know not, my father. Can we not escape from this country? He shook his head. It's very difficult. By Kuffer we cannot pass, for you would be seen. And as soon as these fierce ones found that ye were alone, well, and he smiled significantly, and made a movement as though he were placing a hat on his head. But there is a way over the cliff whereof I once spake to thee, where they drive the cattle out of pasture. Then beyond the pastures are three days' journey through the marshes, and after that I know not, but I have heard that seven days' journey from thence is a mighty river, which flows to the black water. If you could come thither, perchance ye might escape, but how can ye come thither? Bilali, I said, once, thou knowest, I did save thy life. Now pay back the debts, my father, and save me mine and my friends, the lions. It shall be a pleasant thing for thee to think of when thine hour comes, and something to set in the scale against the evil doing of thy days, if perchance thou hast done any evil. Also, if thou be right, and if she doth but hide herself, surely when she comes again she shall reward thee. My son the baboon, answered the old man, think not that I have an ungrateful heart. Well do I remember how thou didst rescue me, when those dogs stood by to see me drown. Measure for measure will I give thee, and if thou canst be saved, surely I will save thee. Listen, by dawn to-morrow be prepared, for litters shall be here to bear ye away across the mountains, and through the marshes beyond. This will I do, saying that it is the word of she, that it be done, and he who obeyeth not the word of she, food is he for the hyenas. Then, when ye have crossed the marshes, ye must strike with your own hands, so that perchance, if good fortune go with you, ye may live to come to that black water whereof ye told me. And now, see, the lion wakes, and ye must eat the food I have made ready for you. Leo's condition, when once he was fairly aroused, proved not to be so bad as might have been expected from his appearance, and we both of us managed to eat a hearty meal, which indeed we needed sadly enough. After this we limped down to the spring and bathed, and then came back and slept again till evening, when we once more ate enough for five. Bilali was away all that day, no doubt making arrangements about litters and bearers, for we were awakened in the middle of the night by the arrival of a considerable number of men in the little camp. At dawn the old man himself appeared, and told us that he had, by using she's dreadful name, though with some difficulty, succeeded in getting the necessary men and two guides to conduct us across the swamps, and that he urged us to start at once, at the same time announcing his intention of accompanying us so as to protect us against treachery. I was much touched by this act of kindness on the part of that wily old barbarian towards two utterly defenseless strangers, a three, or, in his case, for he would have to return, six days' journey through those deadly swamps was no light undertaking for a man of his age, but he consented to do it cheerfully, in order to promote our safety, 
it shows that even among those dreadful Amahaga, who are certainly with their gloom and their devilish and ferocious rites by far the most terrible savages that I ever heard of, there are people with kindly hearts. Of course, self-interest may have had something to do with it. He may have thought that she would suddenly reappear and demand an account of us at his hands. But still, allowing for all deductions, it was a great deal more than we could expect under the circumstances, and I can only say that I shall, for as long as I live, cherish a most affectionate remembrance of my nominal parent, old Bill Lally. Accordingly, after swallowing some food, we started in the letters, feeling, so far as our bodies went wonderfully, like our old selves, after our long rest and sleep. I must leave the condition of our minds to the imagination. Then came a terrible pull up the cliff. Sometimes the ascent was more natural, more often it was a zigzag roadway cut, no doubt in the first instance by the old inhabitants of Kofu. The Amahagers say they drive their spare cattle over at once a year to pasture outside. All I know is that those cattle must be uncommonly active on their feet. Of course the litters were useless here, and we had to walk. By midday, however, we reached the great flat top of that mighty wall of rock, and grand enough the view was from it, with a plain of Kaffir, in the center of which we could clearly make out the pillar ruins of the Temple of Truth to the one side, and the boundless and melancholy marsh on the other. This wall of rock, which had no doubt once formed the lip of the crater, was about a mile and a half thick, and still covered with clinker. Nothing grew there, and the only thing to relieve our eyes were occasional pools of rainwater, for rain had lately fallen, wherever there was a little hollow. Over the flat crest of this mighty rampart we went, and then came the descent, which, if not so difficult a matter as the getting up, was still sufficiently breakneck, and took us till sunset. That night, however, we camped in safety upon the mighty slopes that rolled away to the marsh beneath. On the following morning, about eleven o'clock, began our dreary journey across those awful seas of swamps, which I have already described. For three whole days, through stench and mire, and the all-prevailing flavor of fear, did our bearers struggle along, till at length we came to open rolling ground, quite uncultivated, and mostly treeless, but covered with game of all sorts, which lies beyond that most desolate, and without guides utterly impracticable, district. And here on the following morning we bade farewell, not without some regret, to old Bilali, who stroked his white beard and solemnly blessed us. Farewell, my son the baboon, he said, and farewell to thee too, O lion. I can do no more to help you, but if ever ye come to your country, be advised, and venture no more into lands that ye know not, lest ye come back no more, but leave your white bones to mark the limit of your journeyings. Farewell once more, often shall I think of you, nor wilt so forget me, my baboon, for though thy face is ugly, thy heart is true. And then he turned and went, and with him went the tall and sullen-looking bearers, and that was the last that we saw of the Amahagger. We watched them winding away with the empty litters like a procession, bearing dead men from a battle, till the mist from the marsh gathered round them and hid them, and then, 
left utterly desolate in the vast wilderness, we turned and gazed round us and at each other. Three weeks or so before, four men had entered the marshes of Scaffer, and now two of us were dead, and the other two had gone through adventures and experiences so strange and terrible that death himself has not a more fearful countenance. Three weeks, and only three weeks, truly time should be measured by events and not by the lapse of hours. It seemed like thirty years since we saw the last of our whale-boat. We must strike out for the Zambezi, Leo, I said, but God knows if we shall ever get there. Leo nodded. He had become very silent of late, and we started with nothing but the clothes we stood in, a compass, our revolvers and express rifles, and about two hundred rounds of ammunition, and so ended the history of our visit to the ancient ruins of mighty and imperial Kaffir. As for the adventures that subsequently befell us, strange and varied as they were, I have, after deliberation, determined not to record them here. In these pages I have only tried to give a short and clear account of an occurrence which I believe to be unprecedented, and this I have done, not with a view to immediate publication, but merely to put on paper, while there are yet fresh in our memories, the details of our journey and its result, which will, I believe, prove interesting to the world if ever we determine to make them public. This, as at present advised, we do not intend should be done during our joint lives. For the rest, it is of no public interest, resembling as it does the experience of more than one Central African traveller. Suffice it to say that we did, after incredible hardships and privations, reach the Zambezi, which proved to be about a hundred and seventy miles south of where Bilali left us. There we were, for six months imprisoned by a savage tribe, who believed us to be supernatural beings, chiefly on account of Leo's youthful face and snow-white hair. From these people we ultimately escaped, and, crossing the Zambezi, wandered off southwards, where, when on the point of starvation we were sufficiently fortunate to fall in with a half-caste Portuguese elephant hunter, who had followed a troop of elephants farther inland than he had ever been before. This man treated us most hospitably, and ultimately through his assistance we, after innumerable sufferings and adventures, reached Delagoa Bay more than eighteen months from the time when we emerged from the marshes of Kaffir, and the very next day managed to catch one of the steamboats that ran round the Cape to England. Our journey home was a prosperous one, and we set our foot on the quay at Southampton exactly two years, from the date of our departure upon our wild and seemingly ridiculous quest. And I now write these last words with Leo, leaning over my shoulder in my old room in my college, the very same into which some two-and-twenty years ago my poor friend Vincy came stumbling on the memorable night of his death, bearing the iron chest with him. And that is the end of this history, so far as it concerns science and the outside world. What its end will be as regards Leo and myself is more than I can guess at. But we feel that it is not reached yet. A story that began more than two thousand years ago, my stretch a long way into the dim and distant future. Is Leo really a reincarnation of the ancient Calicarates, of whom the inscription tells? 
or was Ayesha deceived by some strange hereditary resemblance? The reader must form his own opinion on this as on many other matters. I have mine, which is that she made no such mistake. Often I sit alone at night, staring with the eyes of the mind into the blackness of unborn time, and wondering in what shape and form the great drama will be finally developed, and where the scene of its next act will be laid. And when that final development ultimately occurs, as I have no doubt it must and will occur, in obedience to a fate that never swerves and a purpose that cannot be altered, what will be the part played therein by that beautiful Egyptian Amenartas, the princess of the royal race of the pharaohs, for the love of whom the priest Calicrates broke his vows to Isis, and pursued by the inexorable vengeance of the outraged goddess, fled down the coast of Libya to meet his doom at Kaffa. End of chapter 28 Over the Mountain And the End of the Book She by H. Ryder Haggard